Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Executive Pastor Will Price for the message, Hope for the Holidays. Wow, what a day, right? Man, I cannot believe that Christmas is just two days away. So, you know, you look around, the, the lights are hung, the Christmas trees are decorated, Santa's on his way, right? <laughs> Family's coming, man, it's the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Or is it? Okay, can we, can we just really quick just have a moment of honesty together? How many of you would say that the chaos of this season and maybe something you're struggling with has made the season just a little less merry than that you hoped it would? Come on, come on, be honest, be honest, because I'm telling right now, that's me and that's my family. I'm telling you, this, this season, um, this whole holiday season, there's been this disconnect between what we hoped for and what we're actually experiencing. And you know, I think many of you can resonate with that because Christmas time is very busy and it's very hectic. And hey, we have things that we're struggling with, right? We have things that we're working through. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I think we want to enjoy this time of year, but many of us don't. And there are many reasons why but one of the biggest reasons that I believe we struggle to enjoy the holidays is because we're waiting. We're waiting. You see, we wanna enjoy the holidays, but we're waiting for the relationship to be restored. We're waiting for that life-changing promotion to come through. We're waiting for that financial breakthrough. We're waiting for that pregnancy test to come back positive, but we are in a season of waiting. And we're thinking, man, is this gonna be the Christmas that God shows up? Is it gonna be today that you answer my prayer? God, God, I've been praying and I've been waiting. Is now gonna be the time that you come through? If that's you this morning, you're in good company. Because here's what I know. Many, many people are in a season of waiting and many, many people carry around a sense of hopelessness during the holidays. And to make things worse, we go on Facebook and everyone else's highlight reel makes it look like they have it all together, right? From relationship issues to financial struggles to health problems, I believe that a lot of people in this room, including myself, man, we're in a season of waiting and maybe we feel hopeless. Well, I've got good news for you today. And that is that there is hope for the holidays. Do you hear me, church? There is hope for the holidays. But let me be honest with you. The hope that I have to share with you today probably won't fix your problem. And the hope that I wanna share with you today probably won't give you a, a way out of the waiting. But I'll tell you this. The hope that I wanna share with you today is a hope that transcends your circumstances and ushers in God's promises for your life. If you're taking notes today, and I hope you will, I want you to write this down. This is the big idea for our message today, and that is that there is hope that transcends our circumstances and welcomes God's promises. There is hope that transcends our circumstances and welcomes God's promises. Now we're gonna be in the book of Luke, 
chapter one, verses five through 25. So if you would, grab a Bible and turn to the book of Luke. Again, we'll be in chapter one, verses five through 25. Here we find the story of the birth of John the Baptist. And I think you're gonna love this story and the life application that it has for us this holiday season. Luke chapter one, verses five through 25. In verse five, Luke begins by telling us that in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. You know, sometimes you begin reading a book and it'll start out saying something like this. Once upon a time in a land far, far away, and then this amazing fairy tale unfolds, right? Well, what I want you to understand is that this is not that kind of book, all right? This is a historical account of events that happened at a specific time to some specific people. It says that it happened in the days of Herod, which is referring to the reign of Herod the Great. Now, if you know much about Herod the Great, you know that he wasn't so great, right? He had a very long and terrible reign and was known for cruelty and brutality. And so this was an awful, awful time in history, especially for the people of Israel, not to mention the nation of Israel hadn't heard from God in 400 years. If you um, go to the very beginning of the book of Matthew, and, um, and, then, and then you go a page back, a lot of times what you'll find is a blank page. And then if you go another page back, uh, you'll find the book of Malachi, all right? And in Malachi chapter uh, four, verses five and six, um, Malachi prophesied saying this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day uh, of the Lord comes and he will turn the fathers, uh, hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So God, through the, the prophet Malachi, speaks to the people of Israel and then he goes silent for 400 years. 400 years, the people of Israel praying, hoping, waiting for God to show up and unfold his plan of redemption. This is the time that Luke writes to us, right, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And then he mentions a couple of specific people, a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And as we keep reading in verse six, we'll learn more about them. Luke says that they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Wow. Wouldn't you love for that to be said about you? That you were known for being righteous before God and walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord? Well, that was Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? I don't know about you, but they sound like some really good, God-fearing, God-loving people. Right? They didn't just talk the talk, man, they walked the walk. 
They really love the Lord. But here's what's really sad and unfortunate for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look at verse seven. It says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, for those of you who have struggled with infertility, first of all, I'm sorry. Um, But you know exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth went through. Maybe you've had friends who have gone through this. Maybe you yourself have gone through this. But it's a, it's a very painful, painful thing to go through. When my wife and I first got married, we had a lot of hopes and dreams, as most married couples do, right? And one of those hopes and dreams was to have kids. And thankful, thankfully for us, the Lord has blessed us with two amazing kids, But this wasn't the case for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke tells us they had no child. They had no child, but you you, you gotta imagine when they first got married, they had hopes and dreams that they would have a child. And so they prayed, God, would you give us a child, you know? And they tried to have a child, but they, they failed, and then they prayed, and they asked God, and they tried, and they failed year after year after year after year. God, is it gonna be this year? God, will you bless us with a child now? God, are you ever gonna come through? And to make things worse for Zechariah and Elizabeth, childlessness was frowned upon in their culture. Childlessness was seen as a sign of sinfulness and judgment from God, which is really interesting to me because what did verse six say about Zechariah and Elizabeth? Talk to me, what did it say? righteous and blameless before the Lord? Can you imagine living your life like Zechariah and Elizabeth, loving and serving the Lord and yet being looked down upon in your community and being made to feel inadequate and unworthy to have kids? Wow. But you know what I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth? What I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that in the face of terrible, heartbreaking circumstances, verse six, they were righteous before God and they walked blamelessly before God. And not only that, but verse eight, Zechariah was serving. He was serving. What am I saying? Zechariah and Elizabeth, in the face of terrible circumstances, stayed faithful to God. In the, in the face of terrible circumstances, they kept going. They kept trusting. They kept serving, right? They didn't become idle in their relationship with God because their circumstances weren't that great. And this is one of the great lessons that I think we can learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth, that right living doesn't always equal the best of circumstances. It doesn't. And the best of circumstances should never be a condition for right living. You can love the Lord and you can be faithful to him, but it does not guarantee that everything in your life is gonna work out. But just because everything's not working out, it doesn't give you an excuse to walk out on God. This is what they teach us here, do you see it? I love it. Some of you are here today, though, and your circumstances aren't great. Maybe the medical test didn't turn out the way that you hoped that it would. Maybe you didn't get the bonus that you you felt like you needed to get Christmas presents for your kids or something else, but either way, your circumstances aren't great. And in the absence of right circumstances, you've become idle 
in your relationship with the Lord. You know what I think the problem is when we behave this way? I think the problem is is that we've placed our hope in the right circumstance instead of placing our hope in the person who can bring it about. And this is what I call unhealthy and unbiblical hope, which by the way is really just optimism, okay? But this is unhealthy and unbiblical hope. Why? Because it's vague and it's uncertain and it will let you down. You know why? Because it's based on what could be instead of who is. I wanna encourage you this holiday season to be like Zechariah and be like Elizabeth and choose healthy biblical hope. And you wanna know what the difference is? Healthy biblical hope is directed and it's specific and it's certain. You know why? Because it's based on the person and the promises of God. And it's the kind of hope that'll keep you going. It's the kind of hope that'll keep you faithful. It's the kind of hope that'll keep you serving and living for the Lord. Right living doesn't always equal the best of circumstances. And the best of circumstances should never be a condition for right living. Verse eight. Luke says, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, I don't have a ton of time to go into all the details here, but basically what's happening is uh, the Jewish communities come together uh, at the temple to worship the Lord. And there's a lot of different pieces um, to that, a lot of different um, ceremonies and a lot of different rituals, right? Um, but Zechariah, it says, um, gets chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And what I want you to understand about this is that for Zechariah, this was probably the biggest moment of his life as a priest. Literally a once in a lifetime opportunity to perform the most privileged duty of uh, entering the holy place and offering incense to the Lord. All right, and while he's doing that, the people are outside waiting and praying and they're waiting for him to come back out and pronounce a blessing so that they continue, can continue their worship, okay? So I wanna kinda set the scene for you. Zechariah is, is in the holy place, all right? Now in front of him would have been uh, the altar of incense where the coals would be burning for him to burn the incense. Uh, to his right would have been the table of showbread. To his left would have been the golden lampstand and then right behind all of that would have been the curtain or the veil where the holy of holies was. That's how close he was, ladies and gentlemen. Right there, the holy of holies where no man could enter except for the high priest on the day of atonement. Do you see this? Like this is a huge moment for Zechariah. And here's what happens, verse 11. It tells us, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Angels do not look like plump babies with fluffy wings. <laughs> right? They don't. They don't. This angel was glorious and terrifying. And when Zechariah saw it, he was very afraid. Watch this. Verse 13 
the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I find that really interesting. Your prayer has been heard. Why did the angel, this glorious, terrifying angel, why did, why did he say that the answered prayer is the reason for Zechariah to not be afraid? Can I be super raw with you guys this morning? Sometimes in my life, I have prayed and prayed and prayed beyond hope. Maybe for you, you've prayed for the salvation of a child or a spouse. Maybe you've prayed to have a child, but year after year of praying, here's what I know because I've been there. The agony of waiting leads us to give up. Just being real with you. The agony of waiting leads us to give up. And when we're in that place of hopelessness, the truth is that we can sometimes doubt that God loves us. We can sometimes doubt that God cares about us. We can sometimes doubt that he's even listening. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a very, very scary place to be. And I believe that's where Zechariah was. He had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give him a child, but God didn't answer that prayer. And I believe he was in a place of hopelessness, and I believe he was in a place where he doubted God. Don't get me wrong, he loved God, and he was gonna stay faithful to God no matter what, but deep down, I believe he had trust issues. Deep down, I believe he had faith issues, and he was afraid. And so Gabriel shows up, and he says, hey, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Why? Because he wanted, to, he wanted Zechariah to know, hey, God loves you. He does, he really does. God cares about you, and he's heard your prayer. And after all these years of praying and wondering and waiting, he's coming through. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, and not only that, this is incredible, not only has he heard your prayer, he's gonna answer your prayer of giving you a child, but check this out. Verse 14, he says, not only are you gonna have joy and gladness, but many will rejoice at his birth. He's saying, not only am I, is God gonna give you a child, but he's gonna be so incredibly influential. Verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, right? 400 years they've been waiting, and now God begins to unfold his plan, right? Verse 17, he's gonna go before him, who's him? Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow. 
Can you imagine an angel of the Lord appearing to you and speaking these kind of promises over you about your future kid? Woo, come on, man. Like you would think that Zechariah would be ecstatic about this, right? Not only has God shown up and answered my prayer, but he's gonna do way above what I ever imagined. I mean, this is the biggest moment of his life already, and now this? So let's see what Zechariah says in verse 18. He says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? In the words of Hall of Fame wide receiver and sportscaster Chris Carter, come on, man. Come on, man. Zechariah's like, hey, that was a really good word, Gabe, but you know what? My wife and I are old. Actually, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm old and she's advanced in years. And so guys, if you're taking notes, <laughs> write this down. Never refer to your wife as old. <laughs> refer to her as advanced in years because it sounds way better. It sounds way better. But in all seriousness, think about this. Zechariah and Elizabeth, a young married couple, hopes and dreams of having a kid, praying seeking the Lord, wanting to have a kid, but not having a kid, and, and, and the agony of waiting led them to hopelessness. The agony of waiting led them to unbelief and to doubt. And Zechariah looked at Gabriel the angel, and then he looked at his circumstances, and he said, you know what? It's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Now, you would think that the angel from the Lord would then coddle Zechariah, right? No, come, come here, buddy, listen. No, it's, it's, it's true, it's true. God's gonna do it, it, it's gonna be okay. No, but here's what he does, I love this. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gabriel's like, do you realize who I am, man? I'm Gabriel, you know, the archangel, the same guy who interpreted Daniel's dreams from the Old Testament and, and, and not to mention, I stand in the presence of Almighty God, right? And, and he, sent, he sent me to you, to tell you this really great news and this is how you respond? Really, bro? Mute. <laughs> Mute, right? Verse 20, behold, you're gonna be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. How many of you wish you had a mute button for somebody? Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. No. but he hits the mute button on Zechariah. If you're taking notes, write this down in the margin or in the, the back of your card. I, I got a word for somebody today, and that is, don't doubt God or you might lose your voice. Don't doubt God or you might lose your voice. What does this mean? Well, part of enjoying a promise fulfilled or a prayer answered is telling other people about it. 
You know what happens when we doubt God? You know what happens when we struggle to believe that it's God who's actually coming through in our moment of breakthrough? We compromise our ability to tell other people the good news. Earlier this year, I came down with a very, very bad case of tennis elbow. Basically just really bad arthritis in the elbow. And it was awful. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't mow the yard, weed eat the yard. Uh, thank God for kids who can. But I couldn't play guitar. I couldn't shake a man's hand without it hurting. And I, and I had prayed and prayed and people prayed and prayed. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, God, like I'm, I, like, I'm hurting here and I got responsibilities. Like, can you please do something? And to be honest with you, I was in that place of, well, I should probably just stop praying because, uh, and trust doctors. Like, I don't know, like it's not happening, right? And so anyway, one day I'm in Publix and I run into a guy from our church who's sitting right back there right now. And he comes up to me and he greets me and he's like, hey, uh, are, you, are you playing guitar? I said, no, I'm not playing guitar, but here's why. I got this really bad case of tennis elbow. And he looked me in the eye and he said, okay, well, let's pray for healing right now, right here in the middle of Publix. And I'm like, okay. Standing in line for a sandwich, there's people everywhere, but let's go. So he grabs my arm and he prays the most powerful, beautiful prayer of healing over me. The next day I woke up and the pain was gone. I appreciate the clapping, but I gotta be honest with you. The next day, when I woke up and the pain was gone, I doubted that God had healed me. In fact, I wrote it off as coincidence. Seriously, the true story, I wrote it off as coincidence. I thought, you know, the doctor told me it would probably be about six months. We're right around that, around that mark and I've been doing the exercises and I've been icing it. It's probably just a coincidence. What did I do? I compromised my ability to tell the good news because here's what happened for a week or more. I doubted that God did it and the mute button on my ability to testify to his goodness was pushed and it was my fault. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Sometimes God comes through on something and we make the terrible mistake of explaining it away as coincidence, right? Oh, pastor, I prayed for this for years and years and years and God never showed up. And I know what's happening right now, but it's probably just a coincidence. Listen, if you pray about something or if somebody prays over you about something and then it happens, don't doubt God or you might lose your voice. Do you understand, you getting this? Don't doubt God or you might lose your voice. No, trust that he's come through and tell the good news and give him all the glory. Yes. Amen? Yes. Y'all are like, who's that guy back there? Point him out, I need, to go, I need him to pray for me, right? <laughs> Verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, 
Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Good story, isn't it? Zechariah and Elizabeth were good, God-fearing people who loved the Lord. But the real and the raw of their situation was that they were childless and the agony of waiting led them to doubt and it led them to unbelief and it led them to a sense of hopelessness. And I believe that for some of you today, you love the Lord, but you're hopeless. You feel hopeless. For some of you, it's been hours, maybe days. For others, months, years, maybe even decades. But you've had this thing that you've been hoping for. You've had this thing that you've been seeking the Lord about. And you've been praying and praying, but you've also been waiting and waiting. Maybe it's a restored relationship with a family member. Maybe it's the salvation of a child. Maybe it's to have a child. Maybe it's a better job with higher pay so you can provide for your family the way you've always wanted to. Maybe it's healing, but you've been waiting and you've been waiting. I wanna encourage you with three things today for you to do while you wait for God to do what he's doing. Three things that I believe will give you hope for the holidays. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, I wanna encourage you to trust that God is always on time. Trust that God is always on time. What do you mean he's always on time? He seems late to me. Or if you're just a little bit more spiritual, he's not late, he's just slow, right? But that's the real and the raw of where we are. But let me encourage you with 2 Peter 3, 9. It tells us God is not slow, as some would count slowness. God is not slow as some would count slowness. Ladies and gentlemen, God's timing is not our timing. Okay, we might feel like he's slow, but I believe that's because we're limited by the laws of time and we're impatient. We want it here, we want it now. But you know what God is? He's outside of time. And he's patient towards you and the process that he needs to take you through. And he knows what's best and he knows when's best. He's always on time. Do, do you realize we have no idea what God needs to do? We have no idea the people God wants to prepare. We have no idea the, the circumstances that God wants to create in order to come through when it's best for everyone. Listen, I know that you're in a season of waiting and it's hard, but I wanna encourage you to trust that God's timing, not your timing, God's timing is preparing you to receive the promise when it's given. God is always on time. Number two, I wanna encourage you to remember that God is not limited by our limitations. God is not limited by our limitations. Remember back to the story, Zechariah responded to the angel with, how could this be? We're so old. What's he doing? 
He's focusing on his circumstances. He's focusing on his limitations. He's lost sight of a limitless God. Can I just tell you this morning, your greatest limitations and your worst circumstances are no match for the power and the purposes of God for your life. He's not limited by your limitations. Jesus said it this way, some things are impossible for man, but nothing, everybody say nothing. I don't think that's everybody. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Nothing is impossible for God. Whatever you're waiting on, it's never too late and it's never too hard for God to come through. Oh, but my circumstances. Get your eyes off your circumstances and get them on God because he's a way maker and he still does miracles. <laughs> and in the words of the great theologian Steve Perry, don't stop believing. <laughs> Don't stop believing. God is not limited by our limitations. Number three, I wanna encourage you to recognize that God's process isn't always obvious, but his promises give us hope. God's process isn't always obvious. Help me out here. What do we call someone who has a tendency to speak the obvious? Captain Obvious, right? Captain Obvious. I saw a road sign one time that said, caution, water on road during rain. <laughs> really? Captain Obvious must work for the highway department, okay? Listen, God is not Captain Obvious. His process isn't obvious, right? He, he didn't lay it all out for Zach and Liz when they first got married and were hoping for a child, right? He didn't give them his plan. He didn't tell them early on, hey, you're gonna have to wait until Mary and Joseph are dating because I, I need that kind of in the works before, before you have a child, because your son's gonna be the forerunner of that, of that son. He, he didn't tell them that, he didn't lay the plan out. He, he didn't tell them, hey, your story is gonna impact Jesus' story, which is gonna impact the entire world, and it's all gonna be recorded and put in a leather-bound book and become the best-selling book of all time. He, his process isn't obvious like that. But I know this, his promises give us hope. His promises give us hope. And I wanna share three promises with you from God's word this morning that I love and that I pray will give you hope for the holidays. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, God promises that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In this passage, Isaiah was speaking to a, 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 a people who were broken and discouraged and running weary because of the waiting. And he was telling them, hey, hang in there. Hang in there and wait for the Lord because he's gonna show up and he's gonna renew your strength and he's gonna renew your heart. And ladies and gentlemen, this promise is still good for us today. If we wait on God, he's gonna show up and he's gonna renew us. But I want you to notice what it says. It says, those who wait for the Lord 
those who wait for the Lord. It doesn't say those who wait for the breakthrough. It doesn't say those who wait for the answered prayer. No, our hope is in the person and the promises of God. Amen? Check out Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah is speaking specifically to the people of Israel. And he tells them this about God, that God knows the plans that he has for them, plans for welfare and not for evil, but to give them a future and a hope. Now, when Jeremiah gave this promise to the nation of Israel, they were going through a very, very difficult time of oppression. 70 years of struggle and of pain and of heartache. And I promise you, God's process was not obvious to them as they went through that. But I'll tell you this too, God was at work. He was at work through it all. He was preparing them for prosperity and for hope and for peace that would blow their minds. And so listen to me. I know you may not see it, but God has a divine process for you. He's got you going through a process. And I know it's not obvious, but I want you to trust that he's working towards a better future for you. Finally, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, do you love God this morning? Yes. Well, I got a good promise for you because for those who love God, all things, how many things? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's so good. Sometimes life doesn't turn out the way that we hoped it would. But Paul encourages us that all this stuff, it's working together for our good. And so whatever the enemy means for, for evil in your life, whatever the struggle, whatever the reason that you're waiting, God's love and God's power is enough to turn it around for your good. Don't you love God's promises? Don't you love God? He and his promises are our hope for the holidays. In closing, I wanna ask you this. What do you place your hope in? What do you place your hope in? You know, we use that word hope a lot, we say that we hope our team goes to the Super Bowl every year if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. But no, we, we use that word hope a lot, right? We, oh, we hope, I hope my team goes to the Super Bowl. A slide one into my wife sitting over here. I hope I get an Apple Watch Series 5 for Christmas, you know? Maybe for you, you hope you'll get that raise in 2020. We say we hope for things all the time, but here's, here's the deal. When we use the word hope, oftentimes we, it's associated with doubt. Like, like even if there could be a confident chance that something could happen, when we use the word hope, it reminds us that there's always that little bitty possibility that we're gonna be let down. But what I wanna tell you this morning is that that's not biblical hope, it's optimism. And we as Christians are not called to be optimistic. 
Ladies and gentlemen, biblical hope, the kind of hope that I'm teaching you about this morning is hope that transcends your circumstances and welcomes God's promises. It's specific and it's directed and it's certain. Why? Because it's based on the person and the promises of a God who loves you so, so much and who can and will come through. But listen, 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 listen. Even if he doesn't come through on the thing that you've been praying for, even if you don't get the raise, even if the relationship isn't restored, even if your health problem isn't fixed, I can tell you this, you can hope and you can trust that one day in the blink of an eye, Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna take us to an eternity where there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears, and there'll be no more waiting. And that, in and of itself, the hope of our resurrection is enough. It's enough and it's worth the waiting and it's worth the pain and it's worth the suffering. God is up to something, he's doing something. One day he's gonna call us home. That's the hope that we have. If you're here today and you're in a season of waiting, there's hope in the person and the promises of God. And I want you to know he's always on time and he's not limited by your limitations. And I know his process isn't obvious, but he's working, he's working and I pray that his promises give you hope for the holidays.